By the way, what do you call a group of lions? I don't even know. Oh, boy. Isn't, it a, a isn't of, it a pack? A pack of a pride. Lions. I think it's a pack. A pride. No, it's That's a pride. what it is. Hannah's right. It's pride. Lion pride. Yeah. Yes. I thought that was. I thought that was a group of pumas. Maybe it's the same. I know that from The Simpsons. What? Puma pride. Here's a fun question to start the podcast. Is there a new kid on the block for the best receiver in the CFL? Ah, it's one of the many topics we'll kick around as we welcome you to another edition of the CFL Fantasy Podcast presented by Leo Vegas. Welcome to week 14. Go to cflfantasy.tsn.ca where you can get yourself all set, get your lineups in, and you can continue playing for that grand prize where you're winning a unique championship ring and a trip for two to the Grey Cup in Calgary. You get the experience and, of course, you get the great ticket. So, yeah, we've got a very interesting receiver debate to get into. Also, Chris Matthews looking to make his debut in Montreal. Jonathan Jennings returns to face his former team. Cody Fajardo hoping to bounce back after a tough outing versus Winnipeg. And yes, Reggie Begleton and Brandon Banks set to face off as the CFL's first and third ranked receivers on Saturday afternoon. My name is Pat Steinberg. Let's say hello to Hannah Nordman and to Jeff Craver. And Craver, that game on Saturday afternoon, those are two really good receivers that I think a lot of people are going to be looking at in their Week 14 lineups. Two of the best three in the league. And... You could say the hottest receiver right now is Reggie Bagleton. Started with that four-touchdown game against the Montreal Alouettes. He's just been unstoppable. Even with a game where he didn't put up monster numbers, he was still really solid against the Eskimos in the Labor Day rematch. You know, it's like, I call him Bageltown. Love, love, love calling him Bageltown. The population's growing because last week he was the third most chosen player in fantasy. His price is getting up there now. The secret's out. It's like, you know, you know when you got that place, that cool uh, hipster kind of spot that you go to for vacation that nobody knows about and you have a lot of fun, but then people start to figure it out and, and it ends up in all these blogs and then it just gets overcrowded with tourists and the locals don't like it and everything sucks because you have to wait all the time. I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's a point to be made here and it's probably that that, that Reggie, Reggie Bagleton's getting really popular right now. He, he's beyond that. It's not that, that hipster, that cool to pick Reggie Bagleton point anymore. Everybody knows about this guy and uh, a couple thousand dollars cheaper than Brandon Banks. I think he's the guy to go with. What do you guys think? The two, the two top receivers in the CFL going head to head. Which one of these guys interests you the most this week? Well, Brandon Banks is always been out of my price range. So up at 12,600 still out of my price range. Uh I think Begleton would be too. So I mean if I'm picking between the two, I guess I'm going Begleton. But you know it's getting crazy when his bad week, his down week is still over 20 points. Um I spent like $9,000 on Darrell Walker last week and that wasn't super worth it. I feel like I can find 10000 for a Reggie Bagleton when he's this on fire. Bagleton's the one for me. That is no knock whatsoever on Brandon Banks because Banks is probably still the most explosive and exciting player in the Canadian Football League. But what I really like about Bagleton is the fact that whether it was Nick Arbuckle while Bo Levi Mitchell was hurt or now with Bo as the quarterback, I just like the fact that this guy's a volume receiver on top of being a dynamic receiver. I know he only caught the ball seven times, but 
targeted 15 times on Saturday against Edmonton. Think about that. We're playing in a PPR league. 15 targets like that. And I I know he's not going to get 15 looks every single game, but man, the fact that he can bust big plays, the fact that Bo looks at him at the end zone or in the end zone and does so regularly. And the fact that he is that possession guy that you can count on, on second and long. It's, it's hard to go against Bagleton. That salary is difficult and it might be difficult for you to get that salary into your lineup. But if it's between banks and Bagleton, I just think the, all-round ability of Bagleton and the all-round way he can help your team to go along with about a $10,000 salary, he wins out for me. When you're talking about the number one fantasy receiver across the board, you have to take into consideration salary, right? That's a really big part of that. We, we, hear, we hear it every week. None of us, uh, I don't think any of us, have taken Brandon Banks this season, and he's never among the most chosen players in fantasy because, yes, he might be the most productive, but the salary is outrageous. I just logged on to CFL.ca. Hint, hint. Check out the projections, Daily Roto. But they break down, the, they, they give you a projection, and then they give you the points per dollar. And Reggie Bagleton, his is still pretty good. He's almost at two points per dollar. You're talking about a 20-point projection for him. Brandon Banks, he's quite a bit lower. He's not even at a point and a half per dollar. So if you're talking about sheer value, yeah, Reggie Bagleton, pound for pound, he's one of the most valuable fantasy receivers in the game right now. And if he's giving you 20 points uh, every single week with a ceiling that's even higher, I'm not saying he's going to go off for four touchdowns again. But he's still got the ceiling, he's got the floor, he's got everything you like. I'd have to argue pretty strongly that this is the number one player in fantasy right now. Um, even from a value standpoint, at his current salary, I'm willing to shift things around to get that into my lineup. Hannah, you still think he's a little bit pricey to get in there. Well, I just haven't really been spending five digits on a guy this season, but when pickings are slim, there's only three games and I don't really love any of them. I can probably splurge if I'm taking a cheaper quarterback. When we're talking about value and points per dollar, one of the players in this game that we haven't mentioned yet is Braylon Addison. And his dollar figure continues to climb. He's creeping up towards that 8,000 point. We were getting him earlier in the season at around 4,000, 5,000, uh, even as recently as Labor Day in the $6,000 range. He continues to put up incredible points, and he's one of the more valuable players in this game. Where does he stand for you among these three, among these three players uh, in this Calgary-Hamilton game? And, and do you think he's even more interesting than those other two? Uh, because as of this point, uh, he's still a couple thousand dollars cheaper. That's what it comes down to for me. And I'll be honest with you. Like when I looked at the schedule this past week, I was, I was very angry that Hamilton was not playing. I, I, I was going to write a very sternly worded letter <laughs> to the CFL schedule makers because like, Braylon Addison has been in my lineup seemingly every week. He's like a lock every single week because he gives you so much value. And still, at just under 7,800, he's still giving you tons of value. I think Addison is in the same ballpark in terms of his dangerous level as both Bagleton and Banks, and he's coming in, as you said, about two grand cheaper. So 
for me, the most attractive play of all three of these guys. And, you know, you probably put Eric Rodgers into the conversation too because he had a really good week against Edmonton on Saturday. But of all the receivers in this Calgary-Hamilton matchup on Saturday afternoon, the one that tops the list in terms of must-start is Addison. I still think Bagleton's probably the top player, but when you throw salaries in, Addison's in 100% for me. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get Bagleton in or not. Yep, I'm with you. I've had Addison in my lineup more often than not, and that 42-point game really helped me out. Uh, Jeff, I think you were the only one of the three of us who didn't have him, and it, I think it really hurt you. So That's true. 42 points is going to make your salary go up $2,000. It's unfortunate, but 7700 is still well within his value range for sure. That one did hurt. Thanks thanks for the reminder, Hannah. I was the only one who didn't you have him in the welcome. lineup. And I got stuck with a 50-something point week. And because of that, uh, I'm paying big time in the standings right now. With that, on that note, let's turn it over to Pat with the Week 13 Rewind. Well, it was a very busy week 13 and making his third start of the season a huge week for Bombers quarterback Chris Streveler. He was one of the cheaper options this past week, but boy did it pay off. 34 points in that huge Bombers win over the Rough Riders. James Wilder Jr., he had a vintage James Wilder Jr. game. He was benched earlier this year for Brandon Burks, but he went off against Ottawa, scoring twice through the air while piling up nearly 30 points. Rounding up the top three, Brian Burnham, touchdown and 27 points in BC's loss to Montreal. Vernon Adams Jr., McLeod Bethel-Thompson, and Moses Madu, along with Reggie Bagleton, all had nice outings. And the most picked player in Week 13, Johnny Augustine of the Bombers, lived up to the hype, 22 points for Winnipeg. In the department disappointment, uh, the department of disappointment, rather, or the disappointment department, William Powell was handed a uh, 0.1 by the Bombers defense. The most expensive running back didn't even get one point. Uh, Drew Wolitarski, Lamar Durant each had two points. Ricky Collins, Shaq Evans, Kadeem Carey were all held to fewer than seven. Finally, Eskimos quarterback Trevor Harris exited, did not return in that loss to Calgary. Logan Kilgore picked up the slack, and he played most of the snaps. And Harris's status still very much unknown as we record this podcast right now. Can't even say William Powell got a zero. 0.1. You can't even say, hey, yeah, I, took a zero. I took a zero from William Powell. Yeah, that hurts. That's, a that's tough like one. when somebody tips you like 10 cents. They could have tipped me nothing <laughs> and I would have felt better than that. Or yeah. at least the, the yeah. times where you're like, ah, I just, it was a busy week and I forgot to take an injured guy out and he gave me a zero. No, no, Powell played. He just got you 0.1 points. And an expensive running back, too. He costs money. That's not cheap. That's not a cheap. You're opening the pocketbook for that. He's the most ex- he was the most expensive running back last week with no Harris. He was the most expensive running back in the game last week. Let's look at the global leaderboard because we've still got that battle at the top. Western Willie is creating a little bit of separation. He had 104 points uh, this past week. Now has a 25-point lead over Bayman 231 with Paxton K falling to third overall. Western Willie, by the way, his eighth 100-point week of the season. That's pretty impressive. I've only got one. Meanwhile, in a week that saw strong but unspectacular results across the board in the CFL... Uh, Turtle Sask led the way with 144 points. I love that name, Turtle Sask. It's a really cool name for a team. Turtle Sask had Chris Drevler, Moses Madu, Brad Sinopoli, some contrarian picks there to lead the way. Moses Madu, you, you think you go and you look at the box score, and he was in the 20s in rushing yards, but 
I think he ended up with 12 catches. Definitely on that PPR radar if you're thinking Ottawa Redblacks running back this week. Among the three of us, uh, I led the way. Apparently, Hannah informs me for the first time since week eight that I've had the highest score out of the three of us. I had 97 points. Uh, Pat in second with 96 and Hannah with 87. Respectable. Uh, And Pat is in first place on the season among the three of us with over 1,200 points. Uh, 12.17, we'll give him. Uh, Hannah, 199.8. I guess I guess we'll round that up. We'll give you the point, too. Yeah, that's 1,200. We'll give you the gimme, the little the little tap in. Thanks. We'll, we'll call it 1,200. Uh, and I'm at 1,125. Uh, play along with us. You can join our group, the CFL Fantasy Podcast group on TSN CFL Fantasy. Uh, we're, all, we're all there. Uh, we're competitive, so... If you if you got a better score than Pat right now, you're having a pretty good season because Pat is climbing the ranks. He's been consistent all year, and Hannah's up there too. Hannah's right behind him. Let's turn it over to Hannah with the fantasy flash because we got a busy week of news. Even though only three games, there's a lot going on right now. All right, according to Tim Baines, the Red Blacks will be without running back John Crockett for a second consecutive week. Moses Madu is in line for the start versus BC. No word yet on who will start at running back for the Lions. Brandon Rutley started last week while John White was on the one-game injured list. With Cameron Marshall currently on the six-game injured list, the Thai Cats have signed running back Tyrell Sutton. He's already practiced with the team and could play on Saturday. TSN's Kyle Mello reports that receiver Luke Tasker has yet to return to practice for the Ticats. He's been sidelined since week 10, but is eligible to suit up this week if he's ready. Alouette's running back Jeremiah Johnson won't play versus the Riders this weekend. Johnson left last week's game with an injury. William Standback continues to start for Montreal. And this week could see the Alouette debut of newly signed receiver Chris Matthews, who was released by the Bombers after just six games this season. We talked about Jonathan Jennings last week pretty extensively. Pat had him in the lineup, and uh, he looked all right. He's starting again this week, and he's returning to the den. By the way, what do you call a group of lions? I don't even know. Oh, boy. I isn't, it a, a isn't it a pack? A, pack a pride. Lions. I think it's a pack. A pride. No, That's a pride. what it is. Hannah's right. It's pride. Lion pride. Yeah. Yes. I thought, that was, I thought that was a group of pumas. Maybe it's the same. I know that from The Simpsons. What? Puma pride. First... Let's evaluate Jennings' play versus the Argos because the Red Blacks had a real tough outing. Uh, but I thought Jennings' play, from my perspective, uh, was a little bit of a silver lining. A lot of the errors on Ottawa's side, uh, not really Jonathan Jennings' fault, especially a couple of the fumbles there. Uh, Pat and Hannah, what did you guys think of Jennings' play? I liked him. I thought he was just fine, especially from our standpoint in the game that we play. I thought that he gave you very solid value for uh, you know a pretty pretty cheap price. He was, I believe, the cheapest starting quarterback option in Week 13. So I, I thought he did well. He he threw the ball. You know, he was back to a lot of times when you reference him, Jeff. You re- reference his uh, yards per attempt average, and and he was he was throwing some deep balls, and he was throwing the ball well. So I, I was actually very encouraged with what I saw obviously grain of salt not taking on the league's number one defense but I thought in a game where Ottawa really struggled against an Argos offense that has really started to find their way I thought that Jennings you're right was one of the better players in that game from a Red Blacks perspective so 
He certainly hasn't shaken my confidence. He's at about $5,500 for week 14. As of right now, he's in the lineup once again. I like the matchup for a second straight game. I think there's a chance that some points are scored between BC and Ottawa. And is, as we're going to talk about, you know, he's taken on his former team. So there's, there's a little bit of extra motivation, I think, for Jennings heading into this game. Yeah, I was on the firmly no category with Jennings, and I don't think I've really changed my mind 16 points is fine especially for $5,200 but there are some cheaper quarterbacks still playing I'd much rather take a a Dane Evans at 6,100 I don't know Jennings does not do it for me I'm not I'm not really going anywhere near the Red Blacks even up against the Lions Dan Evans still scares me a little bit too but we'll talk about that later I don't want to get ahead of myself uh Jennings versus the Argos 33 of 42 that's a pretty good Completion percentage, 327 yards, one touchdown, one interception with a 7.8 yards per attempt, uh, which is which is uh, around what he that's around where he's been of late. I'd still like to see that a little bit higher, but Ottawa's offense has not been functioning at a high level uh, for a little while now. They've got some unproven receivers there, and I thought for the most part, I, I was happy. Uh, I'm I'm in, I'm in the same boat as Pat here. I, I thought Jennings looked pretty good. Pat, you mentioned the extra motivation to perform in a game against the BC Lions, the team that let him go. Uh, but not just that, there's a little bit of history there between Jennings and Ed Hervey. There was a little bit of airing of grievances on the public side of things on Twitter uh, about the work ethic, uh, about being the first guy to show up. And, and if Jennings has um, kind of the off-field drive to be a successful quarterback... Do you think that extra motivation plays into a game like this, and to what extent? I do. Uh, To what extent? I think it's on Jennings to turn it into a positive extent, because there are times you can get so ramped up, especially when there's a little bit of bad blood. You're right. You can get so ramped up to play your former team, and you can visualize it, and you can be all ready to go, but when the adrenaline takes over, it kind of messes with you. So what I'm, I don't know how it manifests itself, but I do think it, it plays a part in this game, and if you're Jennings, you want to use it as that positive fuel to help you go out and get a huge win for your team. That's the final thing that I'll, I'll point to in this game. It's a winnable game for Ottawa. The Lions are the only one-win team remaining in the league, and... If you're the Red Blacks coming off a tough loss to Toronto and you want to have any shot of a playoff spot with Edmonton on a bye and having lost a few games in a row themselves, Ottawa's got to win this football game. This is a must-win game if the Red Blacks want to keep their slim playoff hopes alive. So I think the motivation is there on multiple fronts for Jennings, and, and that's why he's, I think, a nice play in Week 14. Well, despite losing by almost 30 points there were actually some half decent fantasy totals for some of the red blacks brad sinopoli got 20 points dominique rhymes up near 18 and nate bahar 10 points for just 2500 is there some value here are you guys would you do a stack if i'm pat and i'm going with jonathan jennings i would probably think about it i like some of the talent they've got there brad sinopoli he was so expensive last year and so consistently productive He's flying under the radar a little bit, but he's been a little more productive of late. He's, he's getting things done. Uh, Nate Bahar is right at the basement of that salary of twenty around $2,500. Uh, he's starting to produce. I like the upside of Dominique Grimes. 
I think there are some names there that if you want to go contrarian, uh, which we talk about sometimes, especially if you're looking to catch up, you've got a good opportunity uh, to do so. Uh, You're talking about zero Ottawa Red Blacks inside the top 10 most chosen players this week, and that's in a game where there are only six teams playing. So if you do if you do go all in on the Red Blacks and they happen to have a big game offensively and Jennings has that big performance that in your face against his former team that in your face kind of showing hey you you've got a lot to gain there there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I I don't like this to me is not a a must have when it comes to trying to stack a couple players. Like I, I think there are better plays. I like Jennings as a quarterback play because I like the value at around 55, but I still think that there are better receiver plays than most of the options you're going to have in this game. Like I, I think that, you know, when we just talked about Begleton and Banks and Addison, and I just think there's some more interesting options out there. So it's not something I'm necessarily looking at doing, but Jeff's right. If you're trying to catch up, Going against the grain is the way to do it. Well, maybe the most intriguing receiver play is actually a running back because Moses Madu caught 12 of 14 targets. The most targeted player on that team, he had uh, 22 points. Do we see that trend continuing? Is Madu going to get a lot of looks through the air? Well, I'll tell you this much. I have him in my lineup right now. I don't mind the play because Jennings tends to check down a lot. He throws to his running backs. I was really hoping John Crockett would get back in there this week. I think he's a talented running back, and he's the featured back when healthy, but he's not ready to go. 14 targets for Moses Madu last week. That's unbelievable to me. Uh, and Madu's still flying under the radar. He's outside of the top 10 most chosen players, and he's the fifth most chosen running back uh, in a in a six-team week, uh, with everybody really jumping on that Kadeem Carey, Brandon Rutley bandwagon this week. So... Yeah, I like Madu. I think the floor is pretty good. He's a veteran running back that you know he's going to give you something. And even if he doesn't do big things on the ground, he's going to get those targets from Jonathan Jennings. One thing we know about Madu, which is why I am and I was and continue to be heavily considering getting him in my lineup, you know that he'll get he'll get the volume. Like when Madu has been at the top of the depth chart, he has more often than not kind of been that grinded out type of volume back. I don't know if you're ever going to get that dynamic game where he you know busts a couple fifty plus yard gains or anything like that. He's more of a methodical running back that you can trust to just move the ball and play a ball possession game. And if that's how Ottawa uh, wants to go about their business against BC, and which they very well might with Madu in the lineup and Madu at the top of the depth chart, you're going to be able to get some solid production from him. So I don't know if his ceiling is as high as some of the other guys, but I think he's as reliable a play as you're going to be able to get this week. Other side of the ball in this game, the Lions, they played their first game since changing O-line coach which is Kelly Bates now in charge there. So far, the results a little bit mixed. Just two sacks allowed, which is, um, you know, better than they've been able to do all year, but only 16 points. So what do you take from that first game with him at the uh, at the helm? It's a, it's a strange one. Like, I, I don't come away from that game against Montreal saying, well, it's a good thing they replaced Chu with Bates because their offensive line issues are solved. I, I don't really come away from that at all. I, I thought that I thought BC was okay in that game. They, they, they hung tough for a good chunk of it. But yeah, I, I still think that's a work in progress. And it was a work in progress under Brian Chu. BC is still... I know 
Brian Burnham's coming off a good game, and offensively they may have started to show some signs of life. They just, to me, are, it's, Rutley's interesting to me. Burnham's the one receiver that I could probably wrap my head around. But it just, they're, they're a tough team to pick a lot of players from. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not heavily considering a lot of Lions this week just because that team has, has struggled and been so inconsistent offensively. They're still, they're still the team that scares me the most getting players in my lineup. The thing I noticed about that game was the ball was coming out of Mike Riley's hands a lot quicker. And I don't know if Jarius Jackson uh, made it a clear point going into that game to say, hey, we got to take some pressure off our O-line. We got to get the ball out of Riley's hands into Brandon Rutley's hands, um, you know, to different receivers on screen passes, uh, slants, the the less intermediate routes. Because part of the issue there, it hasn't just been the O line. It's been whether it's receivers not getting separation. Mike Riley's been holding on to the ball a very long time this season. So that was one change to me um, that you don't really attribute to the O line coach, but you say the offense looks a little different. Uh, I like that if that's what they're doing moving forward. And uh, I especially like that for Brandon Rutley if he's going to be the starter. And I have Rutley uh, as a value play this week if he is indeed in line to get that start uh, with John White coming off the one-game injured list. We'll see what happens with that running back situation this week. Jeff, real quick, before we move on to the second matchup of the week, we did some research right before uh, we hit record here. You were talking about taking the BC defense, and I said that was ludicrous because they've finished with negative points four times this year, haven't broken double digits, but you said you like to play against Ottawa, and we figured out just once has a defense scored less than seven points against Ottawa. Is that BC going into your lineup? Both of these defenses, 3,200, pretty much no picks all year. But up against each other, do you consider a BC defense play? Well, that was my strategy last week with the Argos. And at $3,200, they netted me 18 points. They were the star player on my team, the Argos defense, last week. Scoring a defensive touchdown. Uh, They got a few sacks. Yeah, it's been proven throughout the season that Ottawa's opponents defensively have had good outings. The BC Lions, uh, they haven't been a disaster defensively lately. Three points last week, uh, nine points in Week 11 against Hamilton, and eight points against Winnipeg. Uh, before that, a couple of games uh, in the red, in the minus. But at 3,200, to me, it's a punt position if I'm going that low on defense. If they get me three, four, five points, I can't be mad about it. And against this Ottawa team, I, I know I've got the potential to hit double digits if that Red Blacks offense isn't moving the ball and starts turning it over a few times. So I'm comfortable taking the BC Lions if I'm looking for a cheap defense this week. All right. First game of a doubleheader on Saturday has Hamilton in Calgary, and we've kind of been intrigued by Dane Evans. He's cheap. He's kind of all over the place, though. He's gotten, you know, 20 points in Week 9, 4.6 in Week 11, but... He broke out last game, 31.9 points on Labor Day, 19 straight completions in the second half against the Argos. Is he legit or is this just a case of, you know, playing the Argos? I think he's legit. I think he's a good player. And and I think that he gives the Tiger Cats a chance to be the team coming out of the East Division this year. 
I don't mind the salary as it stands right now. He's uh, his week 14 price 6105. I don't mind that. The only thing I don't like right now is the matchup on Saturday afternoon, going to McMahon and playing a Stampeders defense that is really coming into their own. So for me, neither quarterback is really, but neither Bo Levi Mitchell nor uh, Dane Evans. I'm just not all that interested in either guy just because I think this is going to be a really difficult defensive struggle, kind of a, a slog him out type football game. So I like Evans. I think he's legit. I just don't think he's a great play this week. You know, he's got some wheels. I was at the game on Labor Day and he had some nice throws. The 19 in a row in the second half, once he got into a groove, that, that was spectacular. But I saw him run a few times as well. He ended up with 42 yards and a touchdown on four carries. If he's running around a little bit, uh, that could change some things. But, yeah, to me, I, I was going to jump in and say, but, Pat, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's the matchup that scares me this week. Uh, playing against the Stamps at McMahon, no less. That's a tough task. And I talked about taking the BC Lions defense and, and going on the cheap. If I wasn't, if I was putting some money into that, I'd be going with the Stamps, no doubt. In fact, several iterations of my lineup this week, uh, as I as I sit on the fence and try to figure things out, a number of them have the Stamps defense in it. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a tough task for Dane Evans, and, and it actually scares me away a little bit from some of those Ticats receivers too, because I don't think we're going to see uh, a high passing yardage total this week from Dane Evans. Running back-wise, we seem to talk about this a lot mostly because of injuries, but Tyrell Sutton is signed with the Ticats. He isn't guaranteed starting yet, but if he's activated, he'll be $6,500. If he's their starter, are you interested, or is that defense just too scary? Boy, that would be that would be quite Sutton for the Ticats to go with him as their starter this week, wouldn't it? Mm. 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 I saw you try to do there. Lack of execution. Long silence. Man, tough crowd. Always a tough crowd. Tyrell Sutton, back with the Ticats, as you mentioned. The thing here is he's not in the fantasy game yet. If if you're listening uh, before Friday, you probably can't find him. He's going to come in once he's activated uh, and placed on the Ticats active roster, which I believe will probably happen on Friday. So if you can't see him yet and you want him in your lineup, you can get him uh, at around $6,500, uh, slightly over. Um, yeah, I, I'll have an eye on the depth chart, but for me, at that price range, it's it's a pretty big risk to be taking, especially with the way the Ticats backfield has gone recently. I took, I took Anthony Coombs on Labor Day thinking I was pulling a fast one, getting a $3,000 running back who's starting, who's going to get a lot of PPR points, based off the fact that this is a receiver turned running back. He got two touches in the game. That's the second time this year I've been burned by Anthony Coombs. So, uh, you know, when it was Sean Thomas Erlington early in the year, I was comfortable with that. But lately, anything Ticats running back, it's, it's been a pretty frustrating exercise. And the other thing that you mentioned there, and, and I'm with you, and, you know, 
I, I think Sutton still has has got some games left in him and got some yards left in him. I just don't like that price tag for a guy that hasn't played this year to come in at a price tag if he if he's active this week at around sixty five hundred. I, I just doesn't make a lot of sense for me to be taken like if we if he was coming in around forty eight hundred. Sure, that's a, maybe a different conversation. Sixty five hundred is a little bit much for me. So I'll be watching him, and if he can play well, maybe he solves what has been a rotating door problem for Hamilton at the position since Thomas Erlington went down. But he's he's definitely not in my lineup this week. Pat, we need some clarification on the running back situation in Calgary because Kadeem Carey, pretty good in Labor Day, 14 points, but not so good in the rematch, only six last week. He's listed at $5,100. Are they staying with him, and should they stay with him? I guess a two-part question. They're staying with him. as Everything points to the fact that he'll be in the lineup. The, the, only, the only thing you got to watch for is how they're going to use their running backs. And, and they still they still really like Don Jackson. They still feel like he's a guy that helps them in any situation because even if it's not a traditional running down, they feel that his ability to block really helps. So I've got Kerry in my lineup. I, I think regardless of the situation, this is a player that has some value and he has a nice enough salary and price tag that even if he's not the clear-cut number one, you can still justify having him in your lineup. That being said, I don't think that he is the no-questions-asked guy. I don't think that there's a guarantee that he's going to get a, a lion's share of the carries. They still like Don Jackson there, and I still think he factors in. The, the good thing about Carey is that his salary remains very manageable. I don't see any chance that they start three, well, go with three American running backs on the roster, though, do you? I mean, they, they, they seem to have Terry Williams penciled in as that return guy and occasional change of pace back. They had Don Jackson third on the depth chart last week. I, I believe he was scratched. They don't go with all three, do they? Probably not. It's just something to watch in practice. It's just something to, to watch for. Is the, uh, it's, it's, less, it's less about the actual in-game. It's more about how they decide to structure things going in. I think it's going to be Kadeem Carey, but that's eh, still, that's still very much, uh, I think it, it is still something they're deciding right now. And look, if, if they were to go to Jackson and if they were to put him back at the top of the depth chart, it wouldn't be a shocker. But the way that Carey played in that game against Edmonton and knowing the matchup they've got, I, I still think that he's going to be the guy, but I, I would definitely stress to keep an eye on it. Well, all of you listening probably agree because Kadeem Carey right now, the single most chosen player this week in TSN CFL Fantasy. So uh, he's on a lot of rosters out there. I like him too. Uh, good matchup against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, although the Tiger Cats, they're odd against the run. Sometimes they get completely gouged. Uh, sometimes sometimes they, they're stingy. And they're, they're, their run defense is improving throughout the season. They shut down James Wilder uh, on Labor Day. At this point, I would err on the side of keep calm and carry on. Oh, boy. Really? Nah, better better execution that time. I thought that at least you sold that a little better. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. A little All bit right. of credit you at least. You get props from Pat. I'll take it. Okay, last game of the week, Montreal in Sask. Last time they met, no big play VA. Also, the game never finished. It uh, ended in the third quarter because of the weather, because of the lightning. 
So you can probably expect a better, at least longer game this time around. QB-wise, big play VA, who I've been big on. Cody Fajardo, who I've also been big on. I played both of these guys a bunch in the second half of uh, the season so far. Who do you like better? Are either of these guys your QB1 this week? I think it has to be one of these two if you're talking about your QB1, doesn't it? No one else is on that radar for me. If you're talking about a, uh, a straight up, no questions asked, like you know, I already said, I'm I'm starting Jennings this week, and I I'm I, I like that play, and I like the dollar figure. But if you're talking about a true quarterback one, matchup wise, because you know the Calgary Hamilton game, a little scarier to start a quarterback in just because of those two defenses. I, I like both Fajardo and Vernon Adams. I think the guy that I've got more confidence in from a week-to-week consistent basis is Adams. Fajardo struggled, and he'd be the first one to tell you, but he struggled in that game against the... Uh, against the Bombers over the weekend, whereas we haven't seen very many poor games, especially fantasy-wise. We haven't seen very many poor games from Vernon Adams this year. He's been pretty darn consistent. So he's the guy that I would lean towards. If it comes down to those two, uh, I lean towards Big Play VA. He's, uh, He's made a pretty big believer of me this year. I'm on Fajardo this week because of the matchup. I like the matchup with the Alouettes secondary. Quarterbacks are still doing well. The Owls aren't getting a ton of pressure these days. Uh, Mike Riley, relatively unscathed, came out relatively unharmed in that game last weekend. I also like Cody Fajardo's poise. I think he bounces back well. He's done it all year. He has the worst week of his season in the Banjo Bowl. I think he fights back from that in a big way. Uh, he's got a chip on his shoulder. And hey, it's a tough rider defense. They, they've They've made the other quarterbacks look bad. I think Vernon Adams Jr. could have a tough time this week. And I think the Alouettes run the ball a lot uh, to kind of counter that. that that's, a, that's a real tough secondary uh, and playing in Ryderville. That's a different kind of challenge for Vernon Adams. So Cody Fajardo is my QB1 this week. Uh, he's in my lineup. Not my lock of the week. I've taken him too many times. But he's in my lineup and he's going to have a good one. You can book it. I like Vernon Adams. He really hasn't been below 20 points at all this season. He may be the most consistent quarterback of the season so far, but his price reflects it up over $10,000. If you're picking between these two QBs, there's a $3,000 price difference. I think I'd be okay with having either of them in my lineup, just strategy-wise, but uh, I'm going with a cheap quarterback play this week. So neither of these guys will be in for me. Uh, Chris Matthews, in for the Alouettes, could make his debut on Saturday. He was our our player to watch, our money pick of the season at the beginning of the year, and it just didn't pan out in Winnipeg. So is this where he kind of gets things going? Because we all know what Chris Matthews is capable of. We just haven't seen it. I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> know. That was just for you guys. I... I I really don't, though, because, first of all, I was all over Chris Matthews. I was with you, Jeff. I was all over him to start the year. Here comes Matthews, full season in the CFL, back with the Bombers. Watch out for this guy. He's going to be an absolute red zone beast. Well, he wasn't even uh, a constant factor in any semblance of the passing game in his time with Winnipeg. He became a little redundant there. He goes to Montreal. I just don't know where Matthews fits in with a really nice group of receivers. Like Quan Bray is a really nice 
low end, at least in terms of salary, a really nice low end play. Uh, I, I think that in in both Jackson and uh, sorry Lewis and uh, Devere Posey, you're talking about two really dynamic plays, a little bit more expensive, but like those three guys have turned into really reliable players, and Vernon Adams has proven that he likes to go to any one of them. I just don't know where Chris Matthews fits in that, so I'm very curious to see what his role is on this offense. So I'm not. I'm definitely not looking at him as a, a big-time play this week. I still like the player. I just don't know where he fits, and until I do, I, I'm going to shy away from him. I'm really intrigued, and I know I've fallen into this trap before. I, I'm a big fan. I remain a big fan. I just think that he, he's such a mismatch, and he's perfect for that Montreal Alouettes offense. He is the big physical playmaker that can win those one-on-one battles that Vernon Adams needs. He's got a lot of speed there. He's got a lot of guys that get separation, that get open. Uh, They're a really talented group, but I think that Matthews brings something a little bit different. And for him, I think it's a better fit than it was in Winnipeg. I think this is going to be an offense that's going to let him show uh, his true talent and what he's capable of doing. So it's risky this week because you kind of want to just see him get in there and and do it right make an impact because we haven't seen it yet this season uh we haven't seen it since last year when he was with the stampeders during that run uh late in the year but if you're feeling like taking a gamble and you see him as a starter on that depth chart ah man i i gotta consider it especially as i'm looking at some of these lower priced options i like i i'm excited i want to see what he can do in montreal I, i think there's a really big chance for him to make a real impact there down the stretch. I like it too. I've been burned by Chris Matthews a bunch of times, but I don't know. A new team is enough. And I think the first week is the week to do it. At $2,600, what do you have to lose? It's it's almost as low as his salary can go. So I'd be intrigued to take that uh, if he's starting this week right off the bat. Riders had a tough game in Winnipeg in the Banjo Bowl. Is this a one bad game thing for the Riders, or is this kind of a sign of cracks in what was a good thing for Cody Fajardo? I know a lot of people started to jump all over the Riders. I told you the Riders. I mean, easy. They beat the Bombers the game before. They had a bad game. That's a good Bombers team. They've been the number one team in the West Division all year long. I think Saskatchewan, after winning a lot of games, can have one bad game before saying it was all a mirage. I don't think it's a mirage. I still think this is a really good football team and a great cup contender. And I think Cody Fajardo's legit. I'm I'm really curious to see how they try to reestablish William Powell after we already talked about him having a really rough game over the weekend so I I still think that there's a lot to like about this Riders team and a lot to like about this Riders offense and and I think that they've got a chance to get back established so they're gonna have a chip on their shoulder they didn't like what happened in Winnipeg but by no means do I think that this is a flash in the pan this is still a really good Riders team and and a really proficient Riders offense I'm with you there, too. And there have been concerns, uh, which kind of reminds me of what's happening in Hamilton with the Ticats, and they're not getting a ton of respect either. A lot of people talked about the strength of schedule and the teams they were beating. And, yeah, I'm not afraid to say it. The Riders have underachieved the last two weeks against Winnipeg. Even in their win, I thought it was a very underwhelming performance uh, in the game at home against the Bombers with that team missing Andrew Harris and missing Matt Nichols. 
I thought the Riders, sh- I thought the Riders should have had a, a two touchdown spread in that game, and really they needed a very long and heroic uh, last minute drive, last three minute drive from Cody Fajardo to get it done. So I'm looking for that Riders team to bounce back. I don't think it's fair to say that their success this year has been a mirage. I'm not ready to put them up there with the best of the West with teams like uh, Calgary and Winnipeg yet, but I think they're somewhere in between. Well, Jeff, you have Fajardo in your lineup, you said, and you think it's going to be a bounce back. Do you put any receivers in? Because it can be tricky. They've got a lot of mouths to feed, and he likes to spread the ball out. Where would you go receiver-wise? I've got Kyron Moore. I just look back on the Alouettes historically this season. They've really struggled uh, with guys coming out of the slot. I think it's a tougher matchup for Shaq Evans, especially uh, as he's matched up on Tommy Campbell. I think I think Kyra Moore is going to have an opportunity to really make some plays. We know that Jordan Williams-Lambert uh, is going to be back soon. That rider's receiving corpse is going to get very crowded. Craig Dickinson doesn't want to change the ratio. I think this is a week for Moore to really go off because he's been a little bit quiet over the last month and a half or so. Yeah, you know, I, I've liked Shaq Evans a lot, and he's the guy that I have relied on more than Kyron Moore. I believe there's $6 apart in terms of their salary. So it really has been a pick your poison with those two because it seems like one of the two goes off and not both of them. All right, we've hit our three-minute warning. Three-minute warning now, or is it? It is the warning. This is where we make our money picks, a player under $3,500 that you can sneak in if you're tight for cash. And then our lock of the week, we will lock a guy into our lineup on this uh, Wednesday evening. So not quite the Monday locks that we've been used to. Let's start with money picks. Pat, who is your money pick this week? I'm going to go to the BC-Ottawa game. I see Shaq Johnson is sitting at around $2,800. I do think there's going to be some passing in that game. I think both Riley and Jennings have the opportunity of airing the ball out. I don't really love either team's secondary, so I think there's some uh, there's some receiving yards to be had. Shaq Johnson's definitely a boomer bust play. He'll probably, if it's a bust, get you like two or three points, but he's got burner speed, and if they this is a aerial game. He's a threat to break off or bust off a big gain. So Shaq Johnson's at $2,800. He's my money pick. I'm going to that wide receiver factory in Calgary because every time the Stamps get injuries at receiver, a new young guy comes along and becomes a star. We saw it with Marquis Thambles. We saw it with Reggie Bagleton. We saw it with Eric Rogers. They just take these guys from the practice roster and they get it done this week. I'm all over Josh Huff. He's getting another start. Marquise Ambles is out. Josh Huff, third-round NFL draft pick. He was a star with the Oregon Ducks. He's fast. He's got the good 40 time. He's a complete package. He's a good player. And given the opportunity at that boundary-wide receiver spot, he's earning the trust of Bo Levi Mitchell. I think he's due for a really big game in a matchup against the Delvin Bro-list Hamilton Tiger Cats. Josh Huff is my money pick this week, and I'm, I'm feeling really good about this one. This kind of feels like cheating, but I don't think it's cheating. But if he plays, I really think Chris Matthews should be in a lineup. I don't think you should wait a week because if he comes in and has a huge week, he's jumping right up to five, $6,000. He's at 2600 right now. You will not see a cheaper Chris Matthews. And I think there's some actual big potential. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, no, I did it wrong this time. No, you had it right. Fool me twice, shame Look, on me. You ha- but you had it correct. It's fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You just doubted yourself. You were on the right track. 
Look, I'm not the only person around here that stumbles upon words, all right? Also, (laughs) I happen to know the people that set the salaries for this game. That is quite a jump Uh for Chris Matthews that you are dreaming up. That's all I'm going to say there. I think if he has a big week, his salary goes up very quickly. I like it. I, but and he's I don't my think money pick. I don't think it's cheating at all. I think it's a, I think it's a solid pick. Just make sure. Uh, we, we all got to check those depth charts. Don't get caught putting them in your lineup and then uh, oh, he's, they're going to wait a week. You know that, That'll burn you. But he's been there for a little while, so I assume he's going to play. If he does, you know what? I'm, I'm putting him in my lineup. I'm going for it. Let's go lock of the week. Uh, this guy will play in our lineup. Jeff, who are you locking in? I've got William Stanback, and part of it has to do with the Jeremiah Johnson injury and him being sidelined, but the other part of it has to do uh, with the fact that, well, I love him, but but more than that, uh, he's got a really good matchup uh, against the, the, the Riders. Not saying that the Riders are not good defending the run. They are. But the Riders' secondary is terrific. And I think this is a week where the Montreal Alouettes really have to focus on running the football and getting William Stanback involved. And not just handing the ball to him, but throwing the ball to him. I'm expecting uh, a number of targets for Stanback, and they need to look for ways to get him in space and getting, getting him running downhill. Because in my, in my opinion, he is the best running back in the CFL uh, and they mo- can be the most dominant player in any given game. I'm looking for that this week from William Stanback if the Alouettes are going to win. I'm going to the Calgary-Hamilton game. I've got Eric Rogers as my lock of the week. Here's why. First of all, they got him reestablished on Saturday against Edmonton. Eight targets, six catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown. Big game for Rodgers. Number two, this Reggie Bagleton story isn't going lost on the rest of the league. Now, he is not an easy guy to cover. I get that. But one of the big reasons why Rodgers has become less and less of a fantasy threat is because he has been getting taken away and teams have been game planning specifically for him. Well, now that's opened up Bagleton and Bagleton's turned into this dominant receiver. I'm not saying they're going to shift their focus only to Bagleton and forget Rodgers. I just think when you've got those two guys both capable of dominant games... It's going to open things up for the guy that was previously getting blanketed. So I think Eric Rodgers is in line for a huge game. This is the type of game that he thrives on, tight coverage, and a really close big game. I'll go Eric Rodgers as my lock of the week. He's uh, just under $7,300. Don't forget my guy Josh Huff, too, the number the number three option. Nobody's talking about that I like guy. I like the Josh Huff. I like it. I'm a big fan. Pat, the last time you locked in Eric Rogers, he got three points. Not happening I've this had time. A good, I've had a nice, I've had a nice run on my locks of the week, so I'm not going to let you ruin that. <laughs> Just trying to spook you. Um, I'm having a really tough time with my lineup, mostly because I don't love a lot of these matchups. But I'm hoping that Hamilton Calgary game is the big points game, and the only guy I feel confident locking in right now just because of a low salary, is Dane Evans. I think he's going to get the ball where it needs to go. I think it's going to be high scoring. I don't necessarily think he's going to win the game, but at 6,100, I think I can manage locking that kind of salary into my lineup this early in the week. What a what a sudden end to the podcast. I'm, I'm good. I, I got nothing else. Uh, that'll do it for the week 14 edition of the CFL Fantasy Podcast, friends. Four games this week and uh, some more playoff implications on the line. Let's see who comes out on top in week 14. Projections, we talked about them a little bit earlier, brought to you by Daily Roto and CFL.ca. Head on over to the site uh, for all 
all of the great fantasy content uh, to get you ready for this week's kickoff. Also, check out The Waggle, presented by Sport Clips, Davis Sanchez, Donovan Bennett. You can hear it at cfl.ca slash The Waggle. They spoke to James Wilder Jr. this week uh, as the Argos are on the bye week. They're getting you ready for everything week 14. And don't forget to subscribe and listen to us every week. We're on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, or you can listen to us right on cfl.ca. That does it for the CFL Fantasy Podcast for another week. Presented by our friends at Leo Vegas. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter. Hannah's at HL Nordman. Jeff at Jeff Creever. And I'm at Fan960 Steinberg. Enjoy the weekend of football. We will talk to you next week for the Week 15 edition. This has been the CFL Fantasy Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>